we thank you that you indeed are our peace. Lord, I thank you that we have peace because we know the Prince of Peace. We thank you, Lord, in a world that can be at war in the midst of trials and struggles and difficulties going on all around us. We thank you, Lord, that we know you, the sovereign, holy, perfect God who's in control of all things, that we can rest in you and we can be at peace in the midst of the storm. Lord, I pray as we go to your word right now that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out Wednesday night. We'll be in Deuteronomy 31, the latter portion of that chapter, and then chapter 32 as well. So be reading ahead. One other quick announcement. Most of you know that there's a, there's been a church startup down in Watsonville for about a year or so now. Maybe it's been longer than that. I'm not sure exactly. But they're going to be starting Sunday morning services next Sunday. So be praying for Calvary Chapel, Watsonville. Amen? Pastor Dylan, they're here today. Give them, you know, love on them at the Agape Feast. Encourage them. So we just feel like they're, they still will be a part of this body. Amen? So keep them in prayer. Well, real quickly, let's catch you up. Last week we began the book of Galatians. And if you'll recall, the book of Galatians is an exhortive letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia is not a city. It was a region, a large area that contained many cities. And there were cities that had been visited by the Apostle Paul on the first and second missionary journey. There were cities where he had planted churches, cities where they had received the gospel, God was doing great things, and now he receives word that in Galatia, much like in Corinth that we just looked at, how Corinth, because of idolatry and other things, had taken their eyes off of God, well in Galatia, the problem was something different. It was a false gospel that had been brought in by the Judaizers. And we talked about those Judaizers last week, and these were guys who had taken the gospel and added to it. They said, okay, the cross of Christ, we believe in that, but if you're going to be a Christian, you must first become a Jew. And they went to the Gentiles and said, okay, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that's great. But if you really want to be a follower of Christ, you must be circumcised and you must keep the law of Moses. Now we talked about this in depth last week, and I want to touch on it again because I believe it leads in to the rest of the chapter. Now understand that again, Paul had a burden for these people. He was like their pastor. And he had been persecuted in reaching these people with the gospel. Lystra was one of the cities in Galatia. Lystra was where he was stoned to death, left for dead. I believe that's the point, as we saw in Corinthians, where he went into heaven and got a vision of heaven. He came back and went right back into Lystra and kept preaching the gospel. You couldn't stop Paul. So he went right back in there. This is one of the cities where the gospel had been received, and now he receives word that people are going in and adding to the gospel. Now, is that a big deal? Some might say, well, oh, hey, you know, doing extra good works on top of the cross, that's a good thing. I want to say this. Works as fruit of salvation are a good thing. But when we make works prerequisite for salvation, as we saw last week, it's anathema. It's accursed. God couldn't speak more clearly about it. And Paul was so fired up about these words that we saw that last week when he began this letter to the Galatian church, he was a little different than he's usually 
when he responds to somebody. Usually he's got this long greeting and he greets people by name and he tells them how he's doing. This time he didn't do that. He went straight to it. Why? He was vehement because his heart was broken over the fact that people had come in, these Judaizers, and were preaching a false gospel. When you add to the gospel, it's a false gospel. You add anything to salvation as a prerequisite, anything to the cross as a prerequisite for salvation, it's a false gospel. I want to make that so clear today. Even things like communion or baptism, those are the ordinances of the church. And we are to take communion as we will today and do it in remembrance of the cross of Christ. We are to be baptized as an act of obedience. But when you say taking communion or being baptized is a prerequisite for salvation, then you make Jesus Christ a liar. Because Jesus said on the cross, Tetalistai, it is finished. Amen? And so it's not any work above and beyond the cross. It's simply us in realization and brokenness over our sin and our desperate need for a Savior, turning to Jesus Christ, repenting and accepting Him as both Savior and Lord in our lives. There's the gospel, amen? It's seeing our sin, our need for a Savior, and the cross of Christ. When we add to it anything at all, then again, as we saw last week, Paul is very clear in just again that it was grievous to the heart of God. And you know what? It's prevalent in the world today, isn't it? Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus baptism in our church. Jesus plus keeping all these good works. You know, there are even churches where you have to go through a discipleship class before you can be saved. And eventually, the person sitting across the table from you lets you know when you're ready to be saved. Man, that's rough. How'd you like to be the person deciding when someone else is ready to be saved? You know what? That is not the gospel. We don't have to get ready. Salvation makes us ready. Amen? It's the cross of Christ that redeems us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't get cleaned up first so we're acceptable to God. So Paul's writing this letter, and as we saw last week, he's pretty much beside himself. He's pretty fired up. And he's coming straight on toward these Judaizers. And you know what? I think it's important as your pastor that I too not water down the truth. Again, these, are, these false doctrines are not to be taken lightly. You know, all kinds of things have been brought into the church. Diet, you know, how you eat. Should we eat right? Yeah. Is our body temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Does your diet determine your salvation? Praise God, no. Amen? <laughs> We'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? The way we dress, the clothes we wear, I mean, all these kinds of things that, again, that's legalism. And again, I want to say this, I want to make it clear, so that we're not all on one side. Because sometimes people believe, oh, you're just preaching cheap grace, Pastor Dave. No. Liberty is not licensed to sin. Amen? As we've been born again, we should be grieved by our sin. But we should not also walk around thinking that it's our good deeds that somehow make us acceptable to God. It's only the cross of Christ that made us acceptable to Almighty God. And so, we are not to take lightly these false teachers. And again, especially in these areas where they take something that's extra biblical and they make it a prerequisite to being saved. And that's exactly what these Judaizers were doing. 
And so Paul came, and I want to just read the first nine verses we looked at last week. Just make a couple comments, and we'll pick up in verse 10. But just to catch you up. Now he says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches at Galatia. So Paul identifies himself as an apostle. One of the accusations coming against him by the Judaizers was that we're the called ones. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. We're the ones that have the truth. We're the ones that have had our hands laid on, you know, been laid, hands laid on us by men. And we're the anointed ones. And Paul has no idea what he's talking about. And he's just preaching cheap grace. And you know what? You've got to keep the law or you won't be saved. And you've got to be circumcised. And as I said last week, that's a big deal, by the way. You've got to be circumcised. Oh, you're saved? Come here, right? Got a knife for you. No, hey. Whoa, time out, right? And so this is what... The gospel, according to the Judaizers, was Jesus plus this, plus this, plus this equals salvation. And again, I know I'm belaboring the point, but it is so key today. The emphasis is on the gospel of grace, justification by faith, not by works. He says in verses 3 through 5, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He starts off right off the bat by preaching the gospel of grace. He gave himself for our sins. You don't give yourself for your sins. Well, you do if you reject him and you don't know what that result's going to be like. It's eternal separation from Almighty God in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place called hell. Oh, the pastor said hell. I'm never coming back here again. You know, too often today we want to water down the truth. We don't want to speak the truth. You know what? I'd rather warn you about it than have you spend eternity there. And, that, and Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And so we need to preach it without compromise, but always do it in love. And so here's his heart. He says, look, it's him. He's the one who paid the price. It's through him that salvation comes. It's the gospel of grace. That he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And now he begins what we call the statement of purpose. Those of you guys who take inductive Bible study class, in every letter, he begins with a greeting. Then there's a statement of purpose in the letter, saying, this is why I'm writing the letter. If you ever want to understand what one of the epistles is about, read through the greeting. When the greeting's over, look at the next statement, because it's going to be the reason why he's writing the letter. And look what he says in verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Here's the reason he's writing the letter. That you're turning away from the simple truth of the gospel to another gospel. And that's why I'm writing you this letter. And he's amazed. He marvels at it. Can I tell you that I marvel as well that people would turn away from the simplistic truth of the gospel of grace and turn to a works-based salvation? But you know what's sad? We think somehow we've got to earn it, or we think somehow there's something we can do to make ourselves more pleasing to God. Let me encourage you. God loves you just as much right now as He ever will. Amen? And He always has. What a great God we serve. He that knows me best loves me most. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done, and He loves me anyway. What a great God. Aren't you glad? What a loving Heavenly Father, Daddy, whose lap I can crawl into, who will always love me, who will never leave me nor forsake me. At the same time, that salvation is offered as a free gift, but you and I must accept it. And so his heart is broken that they've turned to a different gospel. And they might say, well, they must be preaching Buddha then, if it's a different gospel. 
They must be talking about Hare Krishna or the New Age movement or something else. What is this different gospel he's talking about? No, it's Jesus plus keeping the law. It's Jesus plus circumcision. Different gospel. Why? Because again, it makes Jesus Christ a liar. I know I'm bringing this point hard. Because I, I guarantee you there are many of you sitting here today that somehow think that you can't be good enough for God to love you. You're sitting here today thinking you've got to keep more rules. Or you're sitting here today looking at other people thinking they need to keep more rules. Can I encourage you with something? You need to be obedient to the convictions God places on your heart. But when you take the convictions God has placed on your heart that are extra-biblical, and you go around and you put them on others, that's legalism and it's sin. That's what it is. I'll give you one example. Those of us who have children, we have choices to make. To homeschool our kids, to put them in public school, or to put them in Christian school. If you're convicted to homeschool your kids, that's a great choice, and do it as unto the Lord, and praise the Lord for it. If you have a conviction to have your kids in public school to be salt and light, to touch others with the gospel, then you need to do that and, and be obedient to God's calling. And if you have the conviction to have your kids in Christian school because you want them to have a godly education and you don't feel called to homeschool them, then you need to be obedient to that. But if I start walking around because my kids are in public school and I say to everybody else, well, man, you know what, you're, you got, you're hiding your kids in a, you know, and they're, they're never going to reach the world and, you know, they're hiding their light under a bushel and what's wrong with that? That's legalism. Amen. And if you go around and you're homeschooling your kids, say anybody who puts their kids in public school is from, you know, they're not listening to God and they haven't heard. That's legalism too. We each need to be obedient to the conviction God's placed on us. Amen? And the same is true in every other aspect of life that's outside or extra biblical. So he said, You've turned from the grace of God to the wisdom of men. Verse 7 and 8, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you, who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They pervert it, they add to it, they change it, till it's not recognizable anymore. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, write Mormons next to that verse. But even if we, or an angel from heaven named Moroni, preach any other gospel to you than that which is preached, we preach to you, let him be accursed. The angels say, that Joseph Smith went out and an angel showed up and gave him another gospel. Now, I love to take people, you know, that are Mormons and take them to this verse. Even if an angel, but an angel came, so what? The word of God is the authority even over what an angel might tell you, amen? Because people will base things on their emotions and what they feel or what they think or what, you know, some experience they've had, and your experiences will lie to you. And your emotions will lie to you, but the Word of God never will. And that's why the Word of God must be the authority and the starting point for... People come and say, Pastor Dave, you don't understand, this really happened to me. And they start telling me, and I say, you know what, but here's what the Bible says. Yeah, but, but Pastor, I have to believe you or the Bible. I'm going with the Bible. Amen? Because your emotion, And you know what, those same people will come back months later and go, yeah, you know, I think I had too many donuts or something, because, you know what I mean? The Mormons will say it's the burning in your bosoms that proves that their gospel is true. I don't know if it's, you know, a chili dog could do that, right? I mean, you better not be basing things on what's burning in your stomach. You better base things on what the Bible says, amen? amen. And so here he is writing to the Galatian church. You guys have turned away, and you're following a false gospel. I don't care if an angel came and told you. Don't listen to anything different than the gospel which we have already preached to you. 
There's no new revelations. We don't need any more, you know, quote, traveling prophets to come along and bring some brand new revelation. You know, if it's new, it's, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Because the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And we need to make sure we know this. i got enough time studying this. How about you? I need to be right here. There's so much more of this I need to understand and grow in. And so Paul is so vehement. That's why I'm being vehement this morning. He's so vehement just to say, guys. And then look what he says. But even if we, in verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The word there is excommunicated or anathema. So this is not something to be taken lightly. These false teachers were not to be tolerated. They were not to be entertained. They were preaching another gospel. They were drawing people away from Christ. They were not Christians, but they were accursed. So draw your own conclusions today. What about people who say you must be baptized in their church to be saved? What do you think Galatians has to say about that? What about people who would say that you have to take communion in their church and fulfill these different classes? Or you have to have your first communion and your... You must be baptized as a baby and have last rites from the priest or you're not going to heaven. Is that adding to the gospel or not? If you've got a Catholic background, I want you to know I love you and so does the Lord. But you know what? They're adding to the gospel. And that's anathema. Do I believe that there are people in the Catholic church that are saved? Absolutely. Do I believe the Catholic church is on the mark with Jesus? Absolutely not. Because when you start adding to the gospel, if you start putting your faith in the church instead of in Jesus Christ, you've missed it. Amen? And I'm, and I'm saying this because I love you guys, and I'm concerned for you that you not fall into the same trap they were falling in Galatia to think, oh, I'm just adding some good works to my salvation. Again, if it's fruit of your salvation, praise God. If you think it's a prerequisite for your salvation, heaven forbid. So this morning, we're going to look at the transforming power of the true gospel. We're going to see again in this morning's text that Paul has to defend himself as an apostle against these false teachers as he has many times before. But in his defense, we're going to see a clear contrast between Paul and the Judaizers. We're going to see what Paul's motivated by in comparison to what the Judaizers were. We're going to see Paul's source of calling in comparison to how the Judaizers were called. We're going to see Paul's testimony and his background that, again, is in conflict with what the Judaizers have. And then lastly, how other believers bore witness of his calling. The Judaizers were preaching a false gospel, and Paul was preaching the true gospel. And I want you to walk out of here with a clear understanding of the difference. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. The cross of Christ is sufficient. Amen? And that should be an encouragement to us. It should remove the condemnation from us. And at the same time, it's not a license to sin. Let's begin in verse 10. And look at Paul's motivation, the transforming power of the true gospel. For, I do, for do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For do I now persuade men? The word persuade there in Greek means to convince, pacify, assent, rely, agree, obey, yield to, or in better words, make friends with. Do I make friends with God or the world? Am I concerned about pleasing God or pleasing men? Do I want to be faithful to God or draw a following from men? Which is it? This is Paul's beginning of, of this exhortation to them. 
The contrast between the true gospel and the false gospel. You know what happens more often than not? The ones who are out propagating a false gospel are trying to draw a crowd of followers unto themselves. Paul didn't want anybody following him. He wanted everybody following Christ. And the false gospel teachers would say, we have the answer. And you have to come to our place and study our classes and be involved with us. And if you step away from us, you'll be out of the truth. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a thing called Awake Magazine. And they tell you, if you stop reading Awake Magazine, you'll fall into darkness. You want to fall into darkness? Read Awake Magazine. I mean, you would never get the garbage that they try to teach out of the Bible unless you read that propaganda piece that they call the Awake Magazine. They need to have their eyes open and wake up to the truth of the gospel because they deny that Jesus Christ is God. They say that Jesus is Michael the archangel. That is not the gospel, amen? Pastor Dave's name and names today, I know. Some people get upset. But you know what? Jesus loves them. We need to pray for the Jehovah's Witnesses. But right now, they're preaching a false gospel and they need to be born again. Amen? And you need to know when they knock on your door that they're not, oh, we're just like, no, we're not. No, we're not. They're saying, they're not, they're even saying that Jesus isn't God. There's a problem there. Amen? You deny the deity of Jesus Christ, you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And again, this, these false teachers were accusing Paul of being a man pleaser. You know, oh, you just try to please men. You, you tell them, oh, you don't have to be circumcised. It's okay. You're just trying to be a man pleaser, Paul. Paul says, you think I'm trying to persuade men? You think I'm trying to make friends with men or be obedient to God? You and I both know Paul's heart. His real heart, again, was to be obedient to the Lord. Paul's obligation and motivation was to please God, not men. Paul would not fashion or shape his message just to please his audience. You know what? There's too many pastors today willing to do that. More concerned about being popular with the audience than being faithful to God. You know, my heart's always been I'd rather disciple 50 than entertain 5,000. Because you know what? The key is where you're at with Jesus Christ. Are you growing in your faith? Are you being exhorted the tr- with the whole truth of God's word? It's not always popular. It never has been popular to preach the truth without compromise. And it never will be. So it won't be popular for you to share your faith without compromise. You share your faith, some people are not going to like it. Amen? So should you water it down and take the word sin out and take the crosses down and make it, you know, just so people can relate to it better? Here's the thing we need to relate to. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? We all need to relate to that. And Paul said, I, you know what? I'm not going to fashion things to please men. I'm going to obey God. Having been transformed by the power of the gospel, he was motivated by a desire to please God and not men. And we know that it didn't even matter what it cost him physically. Constantly, what was happening to Paul? Beaten, mocked, scourged, abused, day and night in the deep. I mean, constantly under attack. Everywhere he went, there was either a riot or a revival and often both. And the apostle Paul just kept going. Why? Because he wasn't worried about men, he was worried about God. Lord, I want to be faithful to you. What a great lesson for all of us, amen? Let's let's be less concerned about what men think and more obedient to what God says, amen? Be faithful to the Lord. The world today measures success by how many people know your name. I saw a young girl being interviewed. Uh, I just flipping by and I saw it a while back and she was on American Idol and she was saying, I just want everybody in the country to know my name. That's what I want, more than anything. Everybody to know my name. 
You know, and often we too are focused on the approval of others by the cars we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. And we do that because we're concerned about how we look before men. Instead of how faithful are we being to God. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Nothing else is going to matter when we get to heaven. If they're not careful, again, you start to water down the gospel in the ministry today because they're more worried about what men think. And then he says at the end of that verse, For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He makes it very clear you got a choice. you got to serve somebody. You can't please men and please God. You can't be someone who's seeking the popularity of men and obedience to God at the same time and think that you're somehow going to pull that out. You can't do it. You need to choose today whom you're going to serve. You need to choose today who's, who you desire to be popular with or obedient to. The word please there is in the, in the tense of if I continue pleasing men, I cannot please God. Now the word there, I love this, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now this is not a popular word, but let me tell you what it means. And maybe this will shake all of us up a little bit today, myself included. The word there for bondservant is slave. Slave by choice. A bondservant was one who was enslaved to a master, but then his debt had been paid off. He'd served his time, his debt had been paid, and now that his debt's been paid, he decides of his own free will to enslave himself to his master for the rest of his life. Not because of debt, but because of love. Not because he owes the master anything, but because he loves the master. He doesn't want to leave. He loves being where he is. And then to, to seal the deal, they would take him down to the center of the city and bring him before the people to witness it, the elders, and they would take an awl and drive it through the ear, nailing the person's ear to the door. And blood would spurt out on the doorpost picture of the cross. What's interesting is, I want to be a bondservant of Christ. And this is Paul's heart. He says, if I please men, I can't be a slave to the Lord. A slave to the Lord means that not just that he's my savior, but he's my Lord. He's not somebody I think about two or three hours a week, but he's the focus and the passion of my life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's a bondservant. And that's what God has called us to be. So in love with him that nothing else matters in comparison. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I know this is heavy duty stuff, you guys. But can I encourage you that there's no greater place to be than being a bondservant to the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who knows what's best for you, the one that will only give to you and bless you and minister to you and use you in a way that will impact eternity. Nobody becomes a bondservant and regrets it. But many people walk away from being totally sold out for God and do regret it and have a life that doesn't impact eternity the way that it could. Who are you trying to please? When you wake up in the morning, are you more concerned about your standing before men or your obedience before God? He was motivated to please God and not men. And you can tell your master, who your master is by whose orders you obey. Now, do I sound like I'm contradicting myself? I just said we walk by grace, not by law, Amen. But we obey God out of love for Him, not in hopes of receiving salvation from Him. Those are two totally different things. So we see Paul's motivation to serve God, not men. Now look at the source of his calling, verse 11 and 12. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached by me is not according to man... 
For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the false accusers' accusations against Paul was that he really didn't have any authority, that his gospel message was something that he had made up himself. You know, Paul, that, oh yeah, well you made that up. Uh, you got to keep the law too, man, or you're not going. You got to be more, you got to be more. And you know, haven't you met, how many of you met people like that? You got to do more, God, or you don't qualify. Can I tell you that that's one of the number one things I see is that, that legalism, slant. And it comes in the air of holiness, doesn't it? I'm more righteous than you. I get up every day at 4 o'clock in the morning and crawl on nails to prove that I love God. What kind of dad would God be if he wanted you to get up every day at 4 o'clock in the morning and crawl on nails to prove that you loved him? That's not our God, amen? But there are people that act like they've got to do, oh, they've got to suffer, and I've got to, every five steps, just hit myself in the face with a board as hard as I can. <laughs> oh, I'm just proving my love for God and my dedication for the Lord. You know what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, isn't it? People should see that we are the happiest people on the planet, amen? Not Christians walking around looking like they've been sucking on lemons. Oh, yeah, born again, born to heaven. Oh, I, I can't wait to meet your God, right? We don't want that. You know what, though? When you have joy in the midst of difficulty, people are going to see God in you. And Paul's heart was, look, the gospel was not given to me by men. You guys, the, the stuff that you've got, you came from you, came from men. He said, Jesus Christ appeared to me. Jesus Christ is the one who opened my eyes. Jesus Christ is the one who touched me and revealed truth to me. The gospel is not according to men. It didn't originate with any man. It originated with Almighty God. And he says, I don't receive it from men. I didn't receive it from Gamaliel. I didn't even receive it from the apostles. But it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace that he now teaches, he received directly from the Lord. Can I say this? You may have heard the gospel from another man or woman, who shared it with you, but ultimately it's the Lord who opened your eyes. It's the Holy Spirit who softens your heart and brings conviction. And it's God who you respond to, not a man. If you respond to a man, it won't last. If you respond to the Lord, it will endure. Amen? It will transform your life. You'll be a different person. You'll be a new creation in Christ. And he says, I didn't receive it from man. It wasn't Paul's opinion, but God's revealed truth. And not only was the truth of the gospel revealed directly to Paul by Jesus, but he also commissioned him and called him to go serve him as well. You guys remember this story, and I'll talk about it in a second, but he was riding on the road to Damascus on his way to do what? Persecute Christians. It all started, I believe, for Paul, as we're going to see in a couple of verses here, he was holding the coats when they stoned Stephen. If you remember when Stephen was being stoned, there was a portion, a point in time when he was being stoned that what did he do? He gazed up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now the Bible says that Jesus is what? Seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe the Lord stood up to greet Stephen. Standing ovation from God. Why? Because he was obedient, and he shared the gospel without compromise, and he was being martyred for his faith. The Lord, when we suffer, it breaks God's heart. He never leaves us nor forsakes us in the middle of it. And Paul saw all that. Whoa. Now he's riding to Damascus. He's zealous for the law. 
The very same law that Judaizers are preaching, he gets knocked off his high horse, and Jesus appears to him. He's blinded, and after he is blinded for three days, he goes in, and Ananias, again, preaches to him, but then he goes out and spends three years in the desert, growing in his faith, and then he comes back and begins to preach the gospel. Now, all of this was preparation. God didn't just open his eyes, but he commissioned him. These men weren't commissioned by God, they were sent out by men. Here's the thing, guys. Don't look to be commissioned by men. If you're being sent out by God, then walk in obedience to it. Amen? And we as men should simply recognize it. We should see the calling on someone else's life. So Paul's motivation was to please God, not men. And the source of his calling came directly from the Lord. Verses 13 through 17, briefly we'll see Paul's testimony. For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Again, in his B.C. days, his before Christ days, Paul persecuted the church. It says that he was consenting of Stephen's death. Later in, in, in Acts 8, he says he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging men and women off, committing them to prison. And still later, it says that he, I persecuted the way even unto death. That means he had people killed. Was anybody more zealous for the law than Paul? Nobody. Was anybody more zealous for Judaism and the things these Judaizers were pointing to than Paul? Had anybody experienced more of the law in their life than Paul? No one. And how did it work out for Paul? For then Saul of Tarsus. Not too good. He had to be knocked off his horse and get his eyes on Jesus. That ought to be an example for all of us. That we need to be having our eyes on the Lord and not trusting in our position with the law. It says there in verse 14, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's saying, you know what, you guys are Judaizers. I was more of a Jew than any of you guys ever thought about being. You guys think you're legalistic? You ought to check out my past. You think you, you, think you know about circumcision? You think you know about the law? I could teach you some things. This is what Paul's telling them. Here's my testimony. I've been right where you are, and even worse, and you know what? I was empty there. And the answer wasn't there. The answer came when I met Jesus Christ. That's where the answer came. That's where my life was transformed. Paul was the Jew of Jews, zealous for the very same law. He was born a Jew. He was educated by the great rabbi Gamaliel himself. He was, in fact, a Pharisee the strict legalistic sect of Judaism. Paul had plenty of reasons to boast. He says in Philippians, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has more confidence, I also. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. There's nobody who was more of a Jew than Paul. And you know what? It didn't give him the, the peace that he needed. It wasn't the answer. He needed to be saved. No greater expert. He was zealous more than any other, yet he was lost until he met Jesus. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the Galatian believers, but he's also addressing the Judaizers. And he's telling these Galatian believers hey, those guys think they know about the law? I know more. Let me tell you something. I've been down that road, and the answer's not there. It's Jesus. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul first recognizes God's sovereignty. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. When it pleased God. He didn't say, when I got all the law perfect. When I finally got to the place where I never sinned anymore, then God started using me. What does he say? When it pleased God, when I was outside of his will, when I was persecuting his children, when it pleased him. And we see here that God had a plan for Paul's life from the very, very beginning. It was not based, again, on Saul's good works, but in light of his sin and wickedness that the Lord called him anyway. Saul was saved. In the midst of his greatest wickedness, he was again on the road to persecute the church, to see Christians killed, that he was brought to the end of himself. And he said, to reveal his son in me. You know what? This is what the Lord does. He reveals his son to you, then he reveals his son in you. You've heard me talk about the personal Holy Spirit. He's either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with the world. They call him their conscience. When you're born again, he goes from being with you, to being in you. Amen? And this is what Paul's talking about. Paul said, he revealed him to me, now he's revealing him in me. Jesus has been revealed to you, now may Jesus be revealed through you. Amen? May people see Jesus in us. As the world looks upon us, may they see the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. And then he says there, I did not, immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So what did Paul do? Paul didn't run up to get ordination papers from men. Instead, he went out and spent time with the Lord. Paul was an apostle because Jesus had chosen him, not because of some ceremony by the apostles that somehow transferred authority to him. Where does authority come from? It comes from God, not from men. Men recognize it. I'll embarrass her. Carrie is called to be a missionary to Africa. There's no doubt. Did I call her? No. Did any man call her? No. God called her. And so what do we do? We recognize the calling and we support it. Amen? The same is true for each of the pastors or if you're, whatever ministry you're involved in here. God is the one who calls you to do it. We simply recognize God's calling. We don't raise men up. Don't think if you get close to one of the pastors that somehow you're going to get, you know, oh, if I'm real close, then I'll get to it. Not, hey, that's not it at all. Amen? You get real close, we might see who you are and might not let you set up chairs. I don't know. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's all about being called by God. And this was what Paul was talking about. Now, I noticed here, look where he went. I love that he went to the desert. A lot of people don't see this part. They think Paul got saved, rode to Damascus, and went out and just started. He spent three years in the desert. He went, you know, people get doctrine of divinity. He had the doctrine of the desert. And you know what? He was in good company because Moses spent time in the desert in preparation for ministry. And Jesus spent 40 days in the desert in preparation for ministry. And now we see Paul spent time in the desert in preparation for ministry. And some of you feel like you're in the desert right now. 
And it could be you're going through trials and difficulties because God is preparing you to use you in a mighty and a powerful way for His glory. Don't fight the desert. Say, okay, Lord, you got me here. What do you want to teach me? I'm going through a difficult time. Lord, show me what you want to show me. Conform me more to your image. Help make me into the man or woman of God you want me to be. It's in those most desperate circumstances that God teaches us the most. Verse 18. Then after three years, now we're going to see that Paul again, not only is he motivated to please God, not men, that a source of calling was God and not men, and his testimony went from being a persecutor to an apostle, now we're going to see that others recognize the calling upon his life, unlike the Judaizers, who only patted each other on the back. But other believers saw the clear calling on Paul's life. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him for 15 days. Now there's a lot of times in the Bible where I've, want, I've wanted to be some places. Man, I would have loved to have hung out there for 15... Can you imagine what Peter and Paul talked about for 15 days? I mean, the greatest conference ever, right? I mean, of course, hearing from Jesus would be the best, but can you imagine you know, Peter and Paul just talking? And that's really what it says here. The, the, the tone in the original language is not that he went up to seek counsel, but that he went up to, to have fellowship with Peter, to build a relationship with Peter. Having met Jesus, being blinded, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, the very place the last time he left Jerusalem, he left seeking to kill Christians. He comes home seeking to have fellowship with Peter. Does God transform his life or what? And the same can be true of every single one of us. It's interesting to note if you look in the in, in Acts, it was Barnabas who brought him. Barnabas' name means son of what? Son of encouragement. We need some Barnabases today. Amen? Because Paul coming to Jerusalem was not going to be well received. You've got to remember, Paul was holding coats when they stoned Stephen. Stephen was friends of the apostles. Wait a minute, dude. You were holding the coats when they stoned my friend. Remember when Ananias was told... Oh, you know, Saul of Tarsus, yeah, I want you to go minister to him. Ananias was like, wait a minute. That's the guy. That's the guy chasing and beating and imprisoning and dragging women and children out. And then the Lord said, and he's blind. Really? He's blind. Maybe I can get a stick and go minister to Saul, right? You know? But again, it shows the grace of God, the power of God to transform somebody's life. Because he went from being Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul. But now when he comes to Jerusalem three years later, it's interesting. Look at verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Some people believe that others still had the jury out on him. I don't know what's up with this guy. His ministry hadn't really started. He spent three years in the desert. He comes into Jerusalem. Peter met with him. The other guys are like stepping back for a minute. They don't know if he's a liar or what. It'd be like having him come meet Christians would be like Adolf Hitler visiting a synagogue. Not well received. But again, over time, he proved that God had touched his life. Now look what it says here. James, the Lord's brother, just in case anybody wonders if this thing about Mary being a perpetual virgin is true? Not true. James, Jesus had many brothers and sisters. It's throughout the Bible, and this James is the James who wrote the epistle James in the Bible. And what's interesting, this James grew up with Jesus, and do you know when he got saved? After the resurrection. He, he lived with Jesus his whole life and didn't get saved until after the resurrection. 
Shows how blind people can be. He probably struggled, though. That would have been tough. It would be tough to be Jesus' brother, I'm thinking. Why can't you be more like your brother? Right? You're walking around, Mr. Goody Two Sandals. Like, I'll never keep up with that guy. You know, it'd be impossible. At the same time, what a blessing that he, he grew up with him, and after the resurrection, he realized that everything that he had said was absolutely true. Now, concerning the things which I write to you and indeed before God, I do not lie. He asserts again the truth of what he's saying. He's telling the Galatians, look, what I'm writing to you is the truth. These Judaizers are lying. What I'm telling you has come from God. I'm not adding to the gospel. What they're teaching you is anathema. Don't fall into the trap. He's being very assertive. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So Paul went up to Syria. This is north of Israel, including his hometown of Tarsus. And up there he ministered to people. But the people in Judea, outside of Jerusalem, had never even seen his face. But I love these last two verses. But look what it says. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. People who had never even seen Paul were glorifying God because of the transformation in his life. Why? Because he was living in the center of God's will. He was preaching the gospel of grace. He wasn't going around putting condemnation on people, telling them how many more things they needed to do to be pleasing in the sight of God. Instead, he was telling them about the power of Almighty God to transform their life and set them free from sin and death. Those are two different messages, aren't they? And I want to, again, encourage you that both of them are prevalent in the church today. So the transforming power of the gospel. Remember that the false gospel condemns It burdens. It places an impossible task of works-based salvation that you're never good enough. But the true gospel is that we're no longer condemned, that we are new new creations in Christ, and that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? You're free in Christ. You're a new creation in Him. You are going to heaven. Praise God. Amen? And it's not based on how many more rules you try to keep. Paul's example in this text is, again, new creations walking in the Spirit. His motivation was to please God, not men. The source of his calling was God and not men. His testimony was a man who was once zealous for the law, a Jew of Jews, to a man who preached the gospel of grace to the very Gentiles he once hated. I think it's God's sense of humor that he sent Paul to the Gentiles. Paul was the Jew of all Jews who thought walking near a Gentile defiled him. And now he gets saved and the Lord says, okay, you get to minister to the Gentile dogs. Peter, who was a fisherman, got to go minister to the Jews. Why? Because God wants to get the glory, amen? Because when God used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, then men don't take credit. God alone is the one who was glorified. Other believers bearing witness, finally, with this calling. So here are my questions before we have our time of communion. What is your motivation for life? What are you living for? When you wake up in the morning, what is the thought process that's running through your mind? What is the passion of your life? Who are you seeking to please? Are your eyes and thoughts toward others filled with grace or condemnation? 
Do you look at others in a condemning way? Or do you have a broken heart filled with grace, longing to see them know the truth of the gospel? And then lastly, do others see Jesus in you? When others look at you, when, if I ask all your friends to take out a piece of paper and write down three words that describe you, would Jesus be in there anywhere? You know what? May we live lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Amen? May we be like Paul and not be those who are condemning others and throwing the law upon people, but instead pouring out the grace of God. May we reveal the love of God. May people see Jesus in us. May our motivation be to serve God as bondservants freely with our whole hearts until He returns. Amen? And can I tell you that it's not a bummer. It's a get-to. It's not a have-to. Amen? The greatest joy in the world is walking the center of God's will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You, Lord, for the example of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, I do pray that we would not fall into that trap of legalism, the trap of adding to the gospel, of saying it's Jesus plus five or six other things to be saved. Lord, I do pray for all the cults and people out there today who are adding to the gospel. Lord, remove the scales from their eyes. Help them to see the truth, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by you. Lord, may we be salt and light to them. May they see Jesus in us. Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that our motivation would be to please you, not to please men. Lord, that our passion and our heart and our desire in life would be placed upon you, not the things of this world. Lord, I just pray that you would help us, Father God, to live lives that count for eternity. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We know that without you, we can do nothing. We come in desperation for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Right now we're going to go to a time of communion. Real quickly here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. If you're a born-again Christian and you're here, you're a part of the family. Amen? We have Jesus in common. We have everything in common.